On this episode of This Week in Linux, we got a jam-packed episode for you, with new releases of applications and distros, new hardware, new games coming, and so much more. KDE announced the release of Plasma 5.16. AMD wasn't finished yet, we talked about them last week, and they're back again. They announced new CPUs and GPU hardware at Computex this year. Matrix.org announced the milestone release of Matrix 1.0 and the Matrix.org Foundation. We also saw some releases from OBS, PeerTube, LMMS, and more. In distro news, we'll check out Crux, Endless OS, and Inso OS. We got some interesting news from the Pine64 team about the Pine Phone. And then we'll round out the show with some Linux gaming news from Steam, Atari, and a skateboarding birds game on Kickstarter. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanel with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux GNUs. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. And you can get started on DigitalOcean for free for 30 days with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean for that, with that $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up first in the show this week is the latest release of the KDE Plasma desktop, and that is 5.16. Now, if you've ever seen the show before or any of my content, you might be aware that I am a fan of KDE and the stuff they do, especially the Plasma desktop. So I definitely was going to talk about this, and this was a really big item this week, so I am totally excited for this one. Now, there, before we get started with the uh, all the usability stuff, I wanted to first talk about the back-end stuff that's coming with this release, and that is, for example, if you are a Wayland fan and you have NVIDIA, or you're just interested in using Wayland anyway, and you have NVIDIA, there's been a long time where you couldn't use NVIDIA stuff with basically any DE. But now with Plasma, they, they have added support for the NVIDIA's EGL streams, so you can try it out on, uh, on Wayland. And they also have a new option to reboot into the UEFI settings so that you can really easily and quickly uh, go back into your settings rather than having to you know, try to hopefully get the the right key on your keyboard hit during the process of the boot time, you can just go right into the UEFI settings from the uh, reboot screen. That's really cool. Uh, they've also added DPI scaling fixes, as well as an update to the uh, Plasma's network, network manager and the making it faster, and it now supports WireGuard. So now let's get into the usability aspects of the new version of Plasma. Now, the biggest and probably the most interesting to me is the new notification system. Now I've been a huge fan of Plasma for a while and I actually used to use Plasma in the Plasma 4 days as well and they had a really good notification system in the Plasma 4 days. And unfortunately there were some issues from the Plasma 4 to Plasma 5 transition where the, tr the notification system wasn't that good and there was sometimes where there was a, a period of time where there wasn't even a notification history and that was uh, unfortunate uh, to say the least really. But this latest version 
uh, this new or the 5.16 adds a new notification system and it has been completely rewritten from the ground up. It uses less real estate for the notifications overall. It adds a do not disturb mode, which is awesome because uh, prior, well, technically in the, the current version I have a plasma, I haven't upgraded yet, unfortunately, because it was recently released. And the, the version I have, there's some notifications that pop up when I don't want them to. So uh, I'm, I'm really happy about that because there's times where I have to go back and do post-editing on episodes like Destination Linux where a notification will pop up and cover one of the hosts. And I'm like, oh, I got to go back and edit it and like put in a, a copy of the person and then ho- and cover that section just because a notification popped up. So, yeah, th- I'm glad that that's been added. Uh, they've also made some improvements to the notification settings page, making it a lot easier and far less effort to configure notification behavior. So that's awesome. They've also updated the icons, labels, and hover effects for the login and log out screens, which is really nice, and made it really quick and easy to go to the lock screen by doing Super L. They've also done some stuff for the KDE Discover application, which is their their software store. And there's been some improvements that I think are quite interesting uh, such as making it uh, having separate sections for downloading and installing on the update page, which is nice. They've added the ability to force quit updates, which is definitely something you might need to have in certain random cases. Uh, but I think probably one of my favorite things that they've added is the support, or not, they've technically not added support this time, but they've improved the support for app images. So it's really nice because that means Discover has support for uh, snaps, flat packs, and app images. So that's really cool. And there are also some other highlights to talk about, like some bug fixes and things here and there, like improve the theme installing structure. They've done some nice appearance improvements. For example, they've made it so like the settings and the color schemes, you can actually have like a filter for dark mode and light mode themes. So you, instead of having to like figure out which one supports which and whatever, they just kind of like automatically tell you this is a dark mode and you can switch and only show dark mode. Really cool, really cool. There's a lot of stuff in this version of Plasma. So if you want to check it out, it's possible right now to already check it out. If, for example, you want to, if you use Arch, of course, but also if you use KDE Neon, you can go, actually, if you don't, you can go ahead and download KDE Neon and just try out the latest version of 5.16 with that. And if you are a Kubuntu Kubuntu user and you're using 19.04, you can install the backports and get updates to the 5.16 through that. So there's lots of ways to try it out. And I can't wait to do it myself. Unfortunately, I will have to wait because I'm going to Southeast Linux Fest now. Uh, Well, right after this. So, yeah. Let's get to the next topic. So there's been a lot of buzz around Firefox recently with their Firefox Premium News, their Tracker Blocking by Default News, and also because I recently released a non-Twinnel or This Week in Linux video about seven reasons why Firefox is my favorite browser. Okay, that last part probably isn't why there's buzz, but I did release that video, so be sure to check it out when you get the time. Uh, number one and two might be worth it to just to switch to Firefox just because they are so cool. So, you know, regarding the news, let's go to that now. Uh, so first of all, the, they were going to talk about the uh, tracker blocking thing that they're doing now. So Firefox new feature, Enhanced Tracking Protection is blocking cookies from known third-party trackers, and they rolled it out in, uh, in by default to all new users. So if you install Firefox, uh, by, if you haven't installed it yet and you now install it, it will give you access to this by default. But if you are an existing user, you can manually turn this on or wait for the next release to get it updated in which it will be turned on. 
So they've also done some upgrades to the Facebook container, which is about the container tabs and the multi-account container system that they have. If you're not aware of that, uh, check out that seven reasons why I like Firefox because number one is the container tabs and it is awesome. Uh, I explain how it works and why you'd use it and that kind of thing as well as the also the Facebook container extension. But I didn't go into like real deep detail in it. I will be making a separate video about that particular feature because it is so good it deserves it. But anyway, uh, the, no, the upgrade to the Firefox uh, Facebook container extension is really cool because it it basically uh, stops the tracking from Facebook because uh, you are not logged in on that. When you go to Facebook, it pulls you out of whatever container you are in and puts you in a specific container that only Facebook has uh, knowledge of. So when you leave anything that's not Facebook owned, like Instagram or Facebook or whatever, it will pull you out of that container as well. So that Facebook's only tracking you on Facebook owned properties. So it's stopping them from being the horrible monster that they are, which is great. Uh, but the but the unfortunate thing is that the tracker stuff was still running, so it, it wasn't stopping the actual scripts from running. But this latest version of the Facebook container does block the extension from or the tracker stuff from running, which is really good because it also saves your uh, browser resources and all that stuff. So awesome. They've also made some updates to release a desktop extension for Lockwise, which is Firefox Password Manager service. So if you're interested in that, you know, there's that. Uh, they've also made some updates to the Firefox Monitor service, which is similar to the service of HaveIBeenPwned.com, where it tells you whether or not your email's in a data breach. And this one's cool because if you set up a Firefox account, it will tell you... Uh, it would allow you to get reports automatically of for multiple email addresses, so you only ha you don't have to you know check them manually, or you don't have to check just one and create an account for one at it per email. You can have as many as you want, which is a really cool thing that Firefox is doing. So that's cool. And also a few weeks ago, uh, me myself and the rest of Destination X were uh, we were talking about a new service from Purism, and that service contained like email, VPN, chat, and a bunch of other stuff. During that, that episode of Destination Linux, we talked about how this news would be more interesting to us if this was like a bigger organization. And even specifically, we talked about Mozilla launching something like that. I'm not saying we're psychics or anything, but insert Firefox Premium. Mozilla's CEO, Chris Beard, discussed premium levels of paid services for things like VPNs and other privacy-based services. There have been reports of like 90% of, of Mozilla's income uh, coming from deals like Google, Yahoo, Amazon, stuff like that. So diversifying their portfolio of income uh, does seem to be like a necessary move that they need to do. We don't have any details yet right now for what these premium services actually are or what they're offering in them. But the uh, Firefox did say, we will probably launch some new services first, and then we will think carefully about which models makes the most sense while ensuring the best user safety. Firefox and many security features, uh, services like FTP or ETP, enhanced tracking protection, will still be free. If Mozilla is looking for some suggestions, I have a few, actually. Uh, really mainly it's like, for example, email, contact, calendar, file sharing, that kind of thing. So I'm kind of thinking, you know, uh, services like a, like a VPN plus Nextcloud plus, you know, stuff like that. That'd be really, really cool. And if they do this, I'm very excited. Because there's a lot of people talking about how this Firefox premium thing is, well, Firefox is going to go to like a, you know, a like a walled garden type approach or something. 
where you have a regular free version and then you have a premium version. Now, that could be the case. We don't really know. But my guess is that they're doing it in a sense like if you look at the other things they have, like Firefox Send and Firefox Monitor and these other things, or like Firefox, uh, well, Lockwise actually kind of relates to Firefox, but the other two have really nothing to do with Firefox itself and are just using the brand Firefox to be a part of the service. So maybe this Firefox Premium is not necessarily related to Firefox itself, but rather a service that they're offering that you could sign up for and get those you know services like VPN and that kind of thing. And we do know for a fact that uh, Mozilla and Proton, or Proton Mail or Proton VPN, have a partnership because they announced this last uh, October or so. So it is possible that they're going to be using the VPN service from Proton to uh, put that into this new service for Firefox Premium. And if that's the case and that's what they're doing, I am so excited because I think that Mozilla is one of the better companies, uh, organizations that want to help the open web. And uh, while whether you agree with their tactics in some ways, you know whether you agree with their positions in certain things, I understand that people. Some people are not, you know, you know, a hundred percent fans of, of Mozilla. And I, I, I do say that there are sometimes that Mozilla has made mistakes, and even recently have made some mistakes that I'm not a fan of. But overall, in the history of Mozilla and the things that they do, is the, is you know there is a foundation for caring about the open web and caring about open source and all that. So I still give them the benefit of the doubt because if they can provide a service that does all the things that I hope that they're doing and they do it with a privacy and security in mind, I think that would be really awesome. So I hope that's the case, and I look forward to learning more, and I will keep you updated in a future episode of This Week in Linux. So let's move on to the next topic. Up next on the show this week is some really awesome news from AMD, and I am super excited about it because there's like their, their CPU is just ridiculous. But... I'm not that much of a hardware person. So admittedly, I'm not really the best about this particular thing. So I wanted to try something different this week because I was wondering what would be, what would be wouldn't it be really cool to bring in someone as a hardware person and have them talk about this particular topic because they'd be much more informed about it and it'd be more of a, an interesting dynamic to try out on the show. And also, I'd like to see what you guys think about this particular thing, because maybe I have some more guests who are you know, really in- informed about particular topics and have them come up on the show and take over certain topics, because you know, just to have some more dynamics to the show, I don't know if that's necessarily what people want, but I'm going to try it out this week. So let me know what you think in the show notes, or in the show notes. Let me know what you think in the comments below, and uh, yeah, let's uh, move, let's get on to uh, bringing on our guest, which is Ryan from Destination Linux and DOS Geek. So Ryan, take it away. You all know I'm a huge fan of AMD, so it made total sense, and I'm so thankful that Michael asked me to come on his show this week in Linux to explain everything that's happened with AMD. And there's so much that's happened between Computex and E3. I'm not going to be able to cover it all, but I'm going to do my best to give you most of the information that has come out of these two events. Absolutely amazing. So first, let's just start with AMD at Computex this year. I'm telling you, Intel had a coffee spitting moment when AMD released their new line of GPU and specifically CPUs. 
And then the price points. The price points were shocking to everybody, including me, especially for the power that they were giving you. So this talks about the price per performance, which is really at the end of the day, are you getting a good value for what you're paying out of the performance you're getting out of it? Now, I'm not anti-NVIDIA. Some would believe NVIDIA makes fantastic products. And in fact, I was a huge fan of the 1080. Ever since that point, however, they seem to be really going off the cuff when it comes to price per performance of what you're getting in the iterative upgrades that they have. Now, AMD has done a great job getting into competing in both with NVIDIA in the GPU market and competing with Intel in the CPU market. And they're doing it by one company all at once versus the two separate competitors there, which just speaks to the absolute incredible leadership and CEO CEO's leadership, Lisa Sue, in the work that she's done. So let's start with the GPUs, because even though they're exciting, they're not as exciting as the CPU lineup. So the highly anticipated Navi lineup has been rolled out. AMD is calling this RDNA gaming architecture, and this is replacing the form of Vega lineup. Like I have the Radeon Vega 7 or the Vega 64. This was their prior build model, and now they are moving to this RDNA architecture. So this will include 1.5 times performance per watt capacity increase by going to a seven nanometer architecture across their family. This is with the GPUs and CPUs. So for instance, if you got an Intel i9-9960X, you're looking at an architecture that is still 14 nanometers. They have not moved to seven nanometer and apparently are years off from actually making this happen. So on the GPU, they demonstrated the performance of the RX 5700. Now this is not a competitor, say to the latest and greatest Nvidia out there. AMD is clearly going for the middle market here. The 5700X GPU is a competitor to the RTX 2060, 2070 lineup. In fact, they did show one particular game where they were competing against the 2070 and it showed a 10% performance superiority overall. Uh, later demos with the 5700 versus the 2060 showed 88 frames per second versus 72 frames per second. So you're getting an iterative upgrade here, but you're getting it for an incredible price point at eight gigabytes, uh, GDDR6, 1755 megahertz game clock at $449. So this is between 50 to $75 cheaper than the NVIDIA competitor, and you're getting the latest and greatest from AMD there. Now the CPUs is where everything kind of changed. This is where Intel was sitting there and Nvidia were sitting there in a room, they're drinking their coffees and then they just spewed it all over their screens because at first they launched uh, what they call the beyond eight cores. Lisa Sue really was showing that, you know, th this next generation is gonna finally really be in not just an iterative upgrade, but really a massive upgrade in not only the architecture, but going beyond the eight core threshold here. So the 3700X was released. This would be a direct competitor against the i7-9700K. It's eight cores and 16 threads, 36 megabytes of cache there. So a pretty good 15% uh, gain, say, over what I currently have, the Ryzen 7 2700X. Then they released the 3800X. This will be a competitor against the i9-9900K. Again, eight core, 16 threads. So if you're like me, you're starting to think, or when they say they're doing an upgrade beyond eight cores, why are the two still eight cores? Are they talking about threads here? 
But either way, this comes in at 105 watt TDP. So you remember the old rumor that AMDs could heat a room. Everybody says, oh, if you run an AMD, it's going to heat a room. And it was true. Some of their old processors literally could heat your leg if your PC was by them. They were really, really hot and required a ton of energy to um, be able to power them. And that rumor was not one that was just made up. It wasn't invalid. It was, in fact, true. But you can see in this new lineup and using the 7 nanometer technology, now they can come in at less wattage needed than their Intel competitor, which is absolutely incredible and kills that entire meme off finally altogether. The best of the showing, the moment where everybody's mouth dropped open, people freaked out, new memes were created all over Reddit of people screaming and celebrating and Intel falling out of windows and everybody freaking out was the Ryzen 9 3900X. And it was absolutely a showstopper. My heart started pumping. I got geek chills. It was incredible. 12 cores, 4.6 gigahertz boost, 3.8 gigahertz base, 70 megabytes of cache, all at 105 watts. That is insane. So an Intel i9-9960X, for instance, is 165 watts. So now they're way lower wattage requirement than even their Intel counterpart there. That isn't even the best part because an i9-9920X is going to cost you $1,100. This processor is going to cost you $499. In addition, it's still AM4 form factor. So you can do that upgrade right on your current motherboard that supports AM4. Like for me, I have the Ryzen 7 2700X. I could swap out the CPU, put the new one in. No need to upgrade the motherboard, saving me even more money. And more importantly, AMD kept to their promise that they were going to keep this form factor in place. Blender showed in a demo the Ryzen 9 dominate the Intel competitor with an 18% performance improvement. So that's a lot uh, more gain than we've seen in the past where they're comparing against their competitors and, you know, it's maybe five or 10 frames per second. But in this case, an 18% performance improvement is absolutely huge. E3 AMD announced some other things showing their love and support for open source. Fidelity FX open source image quality uh, toolkit is now out there for developers. This adds a lot of important details to images and also unlike the Ray tracing has no performance hit in order to do so. They also released some kits that allow developers with their games already out to take advantage called image sharpening of some of these features, which is absolutely incredible. And then at E3, Lisa Sue, my favorite CEO on the planet right now, dropped another bomb, comes out with a CPU and says, hey, how about an AM4 3950X with the 4.7 gigahertz boost and 3.5 gigahertz base? at 72 megabytes of cache. Oh, and by the way, it still runs at 105 watts. This is insane. This is taking the Threadripper specs, basically, of a 2950X, and it's actually faster still, and sticking it in an AM4 form, AM4 form factor so that you get all the Threadripper performance on the same motherboard, which is absolutely insane. This one, however, doesn't come out next month. Everything else I talked about comes out in July. This one comes out in September and will be $749, still cheaper than the Intel's uh, closest competitor there. We also should talk about just briefly the PCI Gen 4 because this is a huge upgrade. If you do switch your motherboard out to the latest form factor, you're looking at 16 GTS of speed, doubling the prior PCI third gen. 
So while there are some motherboard manufacturers out there right now, like mine for MSI, who have one port, they can basically upgrade the software to PCI4. If you're utilizing one of these newer boards out there, all the ports will be PCI4 support. This would be fantastic, say, for your input output of hard drives uh, if you wanted to or other multiple cards that you're running. So this means bigger lanes, more throughput, across the board, which means that a lot of these benchmarks and things that they're showing, even with the 5700, are beating cards that are meant to be more powerful from NVIDIA and other lineups because of that PCIe 4 technology there. Finally, Lisa Su announced the Radeon RX 5700 XT lineup with eight gigabytes of RAM, GDDR6, 1755 megahertz game clock, 449 price point, putting it cheaper by about $50 to the NVIDIA competitor, the non-XT version is $379, beating competition by about 100 bucks. So they not only have the 5700, they have the 5700 XT. And on AMD.com, you can get the 5700 XT Anniversary Edition, which adds some additional, basically, overclocking to the card. And you can order that directly from them. So all in all, AMD has absolutely done what we all hoped they would do. They Even if you're not a fan of AMD, which I have no idea why you wouldn't be, uh, they are clearly going after the price per performance market that NVIDIA and Intel really haven't had to compete in because they really didn't have any good competitor out there. And not only are they competing, it, competing in it now, they are dominating in it. And that is the most incredible part of this. So it will benefit you as an NVIDIA user, as an Intel user, what AMD is doing here. And of course, pushing technology forward, I was able to hold in my hands the very first seven nanometer Radeon 7 GPU, and I certainly will be holding in my hands and putting into my computer one of these new AMD Ryzen third gen chips for my computer. I cannot wait. So that's everything from AMD. I hope you've enjoyed it. Now let's get back to Michael. Up next in the show, we have some great news from the Matrix team. Matrix 1.0 and the Matrix.org Foundation have been announced. So over the uh, five years, they've actually been working on the Matrix Protocol, which is a really cool protocol that allows for multi-room, uh, multi-account, uh, multi multi-user uh, conversations. It's kind of like you could think Slack, but also has extra con uh, features like integration with IRC and some other things. Really cool concept. Uh, and it's been in beta for about five years. They have now... Uh, recently released 1.0, which is awesome. And I like the way that they described why they took so long. They said, we have adopted the mo the mantra to make it work, make it work right, and then finally make it work fast. <laughs> so that's a reasonable approach to it, and I like it. So let's talk about this thing. They also say like the main headlines for these, these features are really, really important, like vitally important, but you know, they're relatively dry information. So I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk about those a little bit. And then we're going to talk about some stuff that's going to be coming in a new, an uh, updated version coming out with it. Cause this is more like they're solidifying the protocol and making it, you know, reasonably f usable for a variety of different clients and all that stuff. So that's why they're talking about that, why it's, you know, vital stuff, but you know, dry stuff. So first of all, using X, 0.509 certificate to trust servers rather than prospective notaries, which is improving it because it simplifies and improves the server-side trust system. 
They've also said that switching to room version 4 by default, so creating for new rooms, this fixes the most important defects that the core room algorithm has historically encountered. They've also improved uh, some uh, the full specification of lazy loading room members. So that, you know, lazy loading, if you're not aware, but lazy loading is a ability to load a system but then not load the data that it's not, you know, visibly, you know, at, at in the viewport and then waiting for it to become in the viewport before you load it so that it uses less resources and it takes less time to get the full thing done. So that's what this is talking about. So it's really cool that they've done that. They've also made it where you have short authentication string interactive verification of end-to-end encrypted devices. That's a long way of saying, basically they have emojis that pop up and you say, do you have this emoji? And you just list off the emoji you see and they list off the emoji they see. And then if you have matching emojis, your encryption is complete and you can verify it and move on. So really nice way of doing it. It's a really, you know, really quick and uh, actually kind of fun way in a way. So, you know, whatever. The next, the next stuff that's coming up in the, in the future releases is that they're adding editable, editable messages, which is really good because that's one of the things that I wish they did have. They are also adding reactions, which is cool. So you can like right click something instead of, you know, commenting or whatever. You can just add like an emoji next to it. Also, they're adding threading, which is really cool too. It's very popular in some other clients. Uh, I'm looking forward to that too. There's also live tracking of room statistics and much more. So let's move on to the next part of this, and that is the matrix.org foundation. This is a really, really cool thing that they're doing because they're making a foundation, but it's also a really unique approach to it and a really interesting approach to it because of who has control and like how they're structuring the governance of the foundation. So I'm just going to read a quote about from uh, the quotes from their, their blog post. Uh, so start off with a say, as of today, the foundation ha- is finalized and operational and all the assets of matrix.org have been transferred from new vector, the startup that was formed in 2017 to hire the people who worked on Ma- a matrix and they've moved them from new vector to the matrix.org foundation. So they're doing it a really interesting thing because they're not trying to take, keep control or whatever. They're, they're fully embracing the open source and the free software and the community aspect of it. So that is really awesome. They also say, most importantly, we're excited to introduce the Guardians of the Matrix.org Foundation. The Guardians are the legal directors of the nonprofit foundation and are responsible for ensuring that foundation that the foundation keeps on mission and neutrally protects the development of Matrix. We have started the foundation with five Guardians, two being the original founders of the Matrix Project, Matthew and Amadine. I'm not really sure how you say your name, sorry. And three being entirely independent thus ensuring the original Matrix team forms a minority of the group, which can be kept in check by the rest of the Guardians. That is really interesting because, you know, most of the time these groups are created where the person who created it wants to have full control and don't want to relinquish control or, you know, those kinds of things. And what they're doing is, is basically the opposite of that. They're bringing in more people to have more control. So if, if you know... If they say if they decide that these people are trying to if the original creators are you know trying to go in a path that is not good for the protocol or for the community, then they can be you know checked by that, and that is really really interesting because I, I don't think I've ever seen a project do that before, so I could be wrong about that, but I think this might be the first project to do that, and that's really cool. So uh, if you've never tried Matrix, I think you should. It's kind of hard to set up Matrix on your own self-hosted server, so. 
if you want to try it out matrix for the first time, I would say go to riot.im and it's a matrix client. You can sign up to matrix.org from there because matrix.org is the place where you get the software and you test out the, you know, you can get the software for self-hosting and all that stuff. But riot.im is a way, is a client that you can use for free using the matrix.org servers. So I'd say definitely check that out. I'm a big fan of Matrix, especially when you connect it with your IRC clients and your IRC servers and stuff like that. Really cool. And congratulations to Matrix for making the 1.0 and for creating the Matrix.org foundation. Really great news. So you can find a link to the blog post from Matrix.org in the show notes below. Up next in the show is OBS Studio 23.2 has been released. And if you're not aware, this show is actually kind of is is fundamentally dependent on OBS, actually, because OBS is such a great piece of software. It's the open broadcaster software, or OBS Studio, and OBS is super, super useful. Uh, The graphics you see in the show, the the animations, the stuff, all I do with that, like, it's all powered by OBS because it is such a good tool. And I wanted to talk about this one because they've added even more improvements to OBS from this, and things that I have been waiting for for a long time, and the things that I realized I didn't think I wanted, but I'm so happy that they are there now. So, so first of all, OBS Studio 23.2 adds the ability to preview transitions in the properties of a transition for, via a new preview button. That's one of the things uh, I wasn't think we didn't I wasn't aware that I wanted, and I totally do now. So that's awesome. And they also added an estimate to remaining available recording time based on the available disk space. And for people who have ever watched this show, or especially specifically Destination Linux, and have heard the fact that I have sometimes not enough drive space to record uh, a podcast, uh, which has happened before uh, a couple times, so <laughs> that's a really good feature for me. So awesome! And they've also added the ability to have a Luma key video effect filters. They've added the ability to set the exact desired decibel volume value of sources in the advanced audio properties, which some people might argue that I should work on that with this uh, particular recording. Um, but they've changed it to so replace instead of percentage values, it's now doing decibels, which is really good because in the actual studio mode, it shows you decibels controlling it and then going to percentages is like, what does that mean? A percentage of what it already is currently set or what do you mean? So this is great because they now have it where it's all decibel-based, which is nice. They've also added the abilities, or this is something that I've been waiting for, to the ability to center items vertically and horizontal in the transform menus. So if you ever use this, creating custom layouts in OBS is kind of complicated because previously, if you just wanted to center an item, you had to, you know, figure out where the center is of your screen and then figure out the size of your element and then move the pixels based on the correlating the difference and you can also make changes about where the anchor point is and all that stuff and it was just it was just a lot of stuff to do and now they've made it so it's possible to center and uh, vertically and horizontally just directly in those things and that is really nice so i'm happy to see that They've also added a hotkey to toggle the preview. They've added the ability to hot to output the preview rather to uh, rather than the program to a deck link device. So you can have like the screen show the program, but then you have a preview on a different device. That's pretty cool. If you have one of those, I do not, but you know maybe in the future, who knows? And they've also made it where I didn't think I wanted this either, but I totally do. The ability to copy and paste filters to and from scenes in addition to just sources. So that is awesome. Very cool. 
Uh, they've actually also added the ability to set the network buffer size to a to, on the media source uh, to specific manual setting when you're in the URL mode. So there's so many things, like there's so many cool things that I could keep going, but I'm just going to end it right here because OBS is a fundamentally great uh, application and a huge part of this show. So anytime they make some updates that are especially like these, you know, these like they're they're tiny, they're kind of tiny little updates. Like each one of these things are are fairly small things, but the combination of all of them together is an awesome update. So thank you OBS for making this and. I can't wait to try out the new version, and I can't wait to try out all the new stuff that's coming in the future, and, you know, whatever. I, I'm, I'm a fan of OBS, if you haven't noticed. So, yeah, let's move on to the next topic. Oh, I also have a, uh, a link to this particular topic in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of PeerTube, the alternative, or the open-source federated alternative to YouTube, basically. And this latest release is version 1.3.0. It's been a few months since the last release, and this one has actually been. There are some really interesting things that are added to this in the this latest release. So, PeerTube 1.3.0 adds the ability for video playlist support, and it's, it allows the user to have a default watch later playlist, kind of like you have on, on like YouTube, sort of. Uh, and also has the ability to create your own pri- private, unlisted, and public playlist. And the videos that you put in the playlist don't have to be your own playlist. You can put videos from whoever you want. And I think from whatever federation or federated server you want into these playlists, which is really cool. They've also set up this thing where you have a, an automatic quarantine videos feature, which gives you like the ability, if you are as an admin of a server, to automatically blacklist videos based on you know keywords and stuff uh, when they upload. So that's really cool. They've also added experimental HS, uh, HLS support for like Apple stuff. Uh, they've also uh, set up a better followers management system for the instances, as well as improve the UIs overall. Like they increase the player default height. They increase the thumbnail sizes and blur effects. They've added some missing icons to some buttons and drop downs, and they've improved the video list on mobile and a bunch of other things. Like it's really cool. Uh, PeerTube is something that I think is a is a really powerful thing because uh, there's some issues with trying to find an, an individual's instance that allows you to um, you know, basically have a reasonable amount of data or a, or a amount of storage so you don't have to keep like moving or deleting videos and replacing them and all that stuff and kind of manage all that because a lot of these times would have like 5 gig maximum storage and that's not really, if you're doing a, like long videos like a podcast like this, it's not really practical to do 5 gigs. Uh, but if you can find a... Uh, a really good uh, instance like that, then it would be good to check it out because PeerTube is really cool. I'm currently using Share.Tube as my instance for PeerTube, but I'm not really sure if that is open to public use or anything right now because I got it in like this weird uh, time period where it was available, and I don't know if it is now. So just so you know, while I will link to ShareTube occasionally, I don't know if it is public accessible or as far as public sign up or not. But anyway, PeerTube is a really, really cool piece of software and uh, it makes it possible to have alternatives to YouTube and that is great. So if you'd like to learn more about this particular release or just PeerTube in general, I have a link to their uh, release notes and their website, their like homepage in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of LMMS 1.2.0. If you're not aware, I'm pretty sure 
that S means their software. It might be sweet, but I think it is software. So I think LMMS stands for Linux Multimedia Software or Multimedia Suite. Could be the other one. I couldn't really find it. They don't really make it obvious to find that. And I don't remember what it was when it was easy to find what it was. So it's one of those two things. Anyway, uh, LMMS is a free cross-platform alternative to commercial programs like uh, FL Studio, which, by the way, if you weren't aware, FL Studio is the new branded name of Fruity Loops, which used to be, you know, like a, 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 a loop creator, an audio creator app, like application. So anyway, you can produce music with your computer by creating melodies and beats and synthesizing and mixing sounds, arranging samples and all that stuff. Uh, you can also do like playback instrument samples and plugins, and you can uh, have assortment of different instrument and effect plugins and all kinds of stuff with uh, LM- LMMS. And like it's really cool because it even has support for samples with like VST and sound font support. So it's a really cool tool. And this latest version of 1.2.0 adds a brand new theme. It adds a new demo song and about. Oh, by the way, this is actually a, the first release in a really long time. They've been working on it since, well, basically like four years or so. So they've been working on it since 2015, and they've uh, the, so there's been a lot of work put into this. And this net, this current release has a ton of new features. Like it already is a really good software, but there's a ton of new features in it. So uh, also they have a VST sync enabled by default. They've added some new metronome samples. They've made it possible to record chords directly from the piano roll, up note, up, undo note movements, new export encodings for MP3, 24-bit wave, VBR, AUG, and they've also improved the importing and exporting for MIDI. They have dedicated folders for plugins and instrument patches now, and they've made it. They've added a fast switch support for instrument dialogues, as well as set the uh, the default audio backend for SDL at this like with this latest release. There's been a lot of other things that's being like that are on this particular release uh, that I don't have included here because there's just too many to list off. Uh, but if you'd like to learn more about this particular thing or try it out, I'll have a link to their website as well as the latest release notes in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some interesting news from the Pine64 team, and that is that PinePhone has a lot of re- like recent work done on supporting different operating systems for it when it comes out. And it's you know still in massive development, so that's really cool that they're doing this. And so, uh, first of all, we got some news that PostMarket OS is up and running with support for hardware acceleration. We got updates from the LunaOS people that it's currently under development. If you're not aware, LunaOS is an open source operating system based on WebOS from Palm. And I'm a huge fan of WebOS, so I'm really happy to see that. And also that it's still being maintained or being developed anyway, even if it is a fork. I'm really happy to see that. Actually, maybe especially because it's a fork because it's not maintained by these companies that are ruining it and everything. So whatever. Uh, Selfish OS is also uh, having under development and it's, they've got it to boot, but it still needs some work. Uh, but it's really cool because they're doing all this work to get all these different things to uh, you know be ported on the Pine phone. So it's possible to have a bunch of different options, which is really awesome. For example, they've got the uh, Nemo Mobile as well as the Mamo Lesty. I, I don't know. Uh, Mamo is the has been around for a while, so that's a it's interesting that they get that working. And also, they've even shown uh, Sway Tiling Window Manager running on Wayland in the phone. I'm not sure why you'd want to do that, but it's really cool that you can. So that's awesome. If you're not aware, the Pine Phone is a fairly minimal spec uh, piece of hardware, but it's really good price too. So first of all, let's talk about it. it's got a 5.9 inch screen. 
It's going to have a 1440 by 720 pixel LCD display, a all-winner A64 quad-core ARM processor, the Mali 400 MP2 graphics stack, uh, 2 gigs of RAM, 16 gigs of eMMC storage, a bootable micro SD card, USB-C support, uh, 5 megapixel rear and 2 megapixel front cameras. It's going to have support for 4G LTE. It's going to have uh, 802.11 BGN Wi-Fi, Bluetooth support for 5.0, GPS support, and a 3,000 milliamp battery. Now, this is the specs of the phone itself. And that's and this stuff is kind of new, but they... The main thing that's really interesting is that recently they talked about uh, in their latest uh, release or their latest June notes that the prototype for the Pine phone will be expected in August. The phone will use the same battery that the Samsung J- J7 smartphone uses, which means it's going to be really easy and cheap to pick up spare or replacement batteries or spare batteries for like $10 on eBay or something, which is really cool. Uh, it'll have four hardware kill switches for the Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, modem, cameras and the microphone which is really cool and they'll be hidden under the back cover to keep you from uh, accidentally toggling them awesome really cool to hear especially the fact that they are doing it with like so it's 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 hideable and you know you can not you can avoid accidentally hitting them which is really nice there's also going to be a set of six pogo pins will be exposed enabling support for modular back cover add-ons that can interact with the phone's hardware. For example, there could be like a key, like a, a physical keyboard add-on that you could attach to it, which is really cool, kind of like how the Motorola mod system works. So that's very cool. I can't wait for this phone to come out because, I mean, the, the stuff that they're doing with it is really interesting. And also the price is totally reasonable. It's $150 for this phone when it comes out. So... I am looking forward to it. I'll have a link to these latest uh, June 2019 news from Pine64 in the show notes below. Up next in the show this week is the latest release of Crux Linux. Crux is a distribution that is really interesting because it is a, a lightweight, it is aimed to be a lightweight x86-64 optimized Linux distribution uh, featuring a simple tar.gz-based package system and has some interesting things that are, rel- are related to BSD uh, in the sense of the init scripts, and it also has like a port system. So it's really cool, and uh, here's a quote from the team. It says, The Crux team is happy to announce the release of Crux 3.5. Notable changes include glibc 2.28, gcc 8.3.0, and binutils 2.32. Crux 3.5 now also ships with PAM, it says we've we've made it as transparent as possible and will be a, a good stepping stone for users wanting two-factor authentication and some other stuff. So this is really cool uh, because uh, if you're not aware, Crux is is also interesting because of the history of it because Crux is basically the inspiration for Arch Linux. So without Crux, there might not be an Arch. So that's really cool. And there's a lot of interesting stuff that's functionally built into Crux. But it, Crux is a little bit more... Uh, experience level user related than arches so arches are is is one is a experience user structured distro anyway and then crux is a little bit more difficult than that Uh, so it's still worth checking out if you're interested in that kind of software and that kind of distribution Uh, but just like fair warning it is for a specific type of user so if you'd like to learn more about crux i'll have a link to this latest release of 3.5 in the show notes below 
Up next in the show this week is the latest release of Endless OS. 3.6 has been released. This particular version is based on Debian. Uh, They've upgraded the Debian base to Buster, which has actually not been released yet for Debian, but will probably be released sometime soon, within a few months or so, because they're already in the freeze uh, period right now. So, you know, it could be fairly soon. We don't know exactly, but they've decided to go ahead and upgrade to Buster. And they've also upgraded the Linux kernel to 5.0 the uh, GNOME shell to 3.32, and they've also added some support for Docker containers, which is pretty interesting. So for the quote from their website, it says, uh, Endless OS 3.6.0 was released for existing users on June 10th, 2019. Now, they're saying existing users because if you already have it, you can upgrade to the uh, upgraded from well, your, your current system. But if you are not... Uh, using the endless OS yet. The downloads are not technically available at the time of this recording. Probably is by the time of release. So just letting you know that it might not be available to down yet, download yet if you do want to, but it should be soon. They also say that this uh, in this release we have updated the base OS packages to the latest version from Debian Buster uh, and most desktop components, versions of GNOME, Linux kernel, and etc. This brings new features, performance improvements, hardware support, and bug fixes. They've also added support for Podman 9, which is like a command line tool for Docker images. Uh, so that's pretty interesting that they've added Docker to it because this kind of this this particular distro is interesting because of how they uh, they release it. They have a version that's called Basic and another version that's called Full, and the Full is definitely an accurate term to use because there is a ton of stuff on this system when you get it. So Endless OS 3.6.0 has even more stuff coming on it with this new uh, setup with Docker, but they have uh, the basic one is a multilingual uh, version that contains the base system only. New applications can be added after the fact if you want. However, the full edition this is built spe- with specific languages in mind, so you you have to you download which language you want. And also it comes with hundreds of pre-installed applications. And I think a significant portion of Wikipedia. Like a lot of stuff is included by default with the full version of Endless OS. So uh, this is really interesting because they're adding Docker, making it possible to include even more to it. And I think that's interesting. And this is also a distribution that is designed for places that don't have, a like it's not just bloat and they're just adding everything. The reason they're doing it is because they are are focusing the uh, development towards places that don't have consistent internet connections, like certain countries and certain areas of various countries having, uh, you know, very intermittent access to internet or none at all. So you can install this and still have a reasonably useful computer because a lot of the stuff is being provided to you by default on the ISO. So that's an interesting approach, and I do wish Endless the best, uh, because I probably won't try out the full version, just because I don't need all that stuff. Uh, but I do. I think I will check out the basic. Uh, I'm not a GNOME fan, but they have modified GNOME a lot, so I want to see how they've set it up, because it does look pretty interesting. So anyway, if you would like to check it out, I'll have a link to the Endless OS 3.6 release notes in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Enzo OS 0.3.1. So Enzo, this particular reason, uh, first off, this particular release is not much of a difference between the previous version, but I wanted to talk about this particular distro because I haven't talked about it before, and I think that it's pretty interesting. So Enzo is a distro that describes itself as simple, private, and green. 
Now, the green part comes from the the concept of running in older machines that Mac and Windows computer systems can't run on anymore. So, like, you know, the new life to old hardware type approach. And this is not a very unique approach because a lot of Linux distributions do that. But what is unique is that they are focusing on part of their marketing is that that is a, a main piece of it. So that's pretty cool. You know, you just re- reuse the stuff you have approach is, is a good marketing thing. And I think that uh, they also do some other stuff like they have like a default search engine that's a green search engine where they uh, supplant trees and things like that. So uh, it's it's pretty interesting their their marketing goals and that kind of thing. But what's also interesting is the way they structure their distro. So it's based on Zubuntu, so it has the XFCE desktop, but it also has imported uh, Gala from the from Elementary and the Panther application launcher. And uh, uses the Plank dock along with some other borrowed tools from uh, from Elementary and Zubuntu. So it has a combination of Elementary approach on top of Zubuntu and XFCE. So it's an interesting concept, and I think that it looks pretty good. Like it's a pretty solid implementation of of XFCE. And using some of the stuff from elementary is an interesting idea. So I I haven't used it myself personally, but I am looking forward to trying it out this one because it is definitely interesting. And the combination of elementary tools with uh, Zubuntu tools could be pretty cool. They also have a fork of the um, App Center from elementary called AppHive. And this application tool uh, has been updated and it features like a cleaner homepage, a new, a bunch of new categories and, uh, some stuff that is, you know, bang, making it possible to star favorite applications and that kind of thing. So they've also done a lot of stuff to uh, improve the high DBI support and performance of the system. So like, you're not going to get full high DBI because XFCE still needs to finish doing that, but you can get a significant portion here through like the plank dock and some other stuff. So that's pretty cool that they're working on that. Check it out. If you're an XFCE fan or you're just interested in XFCE in general and you want to have a nice polished by default system with XFCE, this might be worth checking out because I think that XFCE is a really cool DE functionally, but needs some work into the design side. And uh, Enzo might be a choice for those kind of people who want that. So yeah, if you're interested more in checking out about uh, Enzo OS 0.3.1, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is the first Linux gaming news, and first up is Steam is getting a major redesign. Now, this is something that's been needed for a while. I I still like the Steam client for the most part, but there are certain things that are really annoying, like how you search and filter different games, and I was really wanting them to fix that, and turns out this one, they are. So there's a lot of cool stuff coming in this next one. They're They're allowing you to sort and group games in collections. You can also use the search and filter structure to filter out certain things and also save that search and filter system as a collection of games to quickly jump back to them. Uh, so they've also set it up where new search filtering options make it painless to find games, especially if you have a ton of games. So that's one of the things that really annoys me about the library system inside of Steam because, well, it's not very good as far as finding games. that you, If you have a big, large collection, like finding games for various different features and that kind of thing. So I'm really happy to see that they are doing this because this is pretty cool uh, because like f- making it easier to filter them is something I've been wanting for a while. So I'm really happy to see that. And they've also said that the this particular uh, redesign will be coming as a beta 
in a few weeks or so. They haven't given an actual estimate or any time right, right exactly, but uh, it will be in beta fairly soon. So I'm looking forward to it. And I will let you know when it does go into beta, at least in like a follow-up message. Maybe not like a full topic, but at least like a follow-up. Like, hey, like I said, come check it out or whatever. But anyway, if you'd like to learn more, I'll have a link uh, to the Gaming on Linux article about this, as well as some more uh, detailed information uh, on it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some information about the Atari VCS. We've got, we found out that it's now uh, set to ship in March 2020. And this is actually using a custom Linux distribution called Atari Custom Linux OS. Not a very creative name, just to say. But what's really is cool, and it really is creative, is that they're making it possible for this piece of hardware to not like restrict it just to that OS. You can put whatever distro you want on it. You can put like Arch, Ubuntu, Debian, whatever you want. And that's, that's pretty cool, making it possible for that. So that's really cool that they're doing that. They've also announced that they're partnering with GameStop and Walmart uh, only in the U.S. at the moment, but they're partnering to, to offer pre-orders. So that's really cool, and they've also set up where they're having custom um, exclusive models between Walmart and GameStop. So I think it's cool, not necessarily because I'm going to buy it from either one. I won't because I'm, I'm not going to do that, but I am really um, happy to see that they're doing that partnership because it means that big corporations are, you know, think that this is actually worth putting their time into and you know promoting and that kind of thing. So that's good for the Atari VCS uh, as a platform because if it has backing like that, that's some good signs. Also, this the base model for the Atari VCS 400 is, is available for pre-order and it has uh, four gigabytes of RAM at $250 price tag. It also, you can get the, the VCS 800 version with 8 gigabytes of RAM for $390. And that one includes the uh, cla- uh, the classic joystick and the modern controller approach. And I don't know if that those the joystick and the controller are available in the 400. I think you have to buy them separately. I don't think it comes as a package, but I, do, I think if you do buy the 800 version, it does come with it. Uh, and also, all the models seem to have upgradable RAM, which is pretty cool. And they have 32 gigabytes of eMMC internal storage as like a standard across all the models. And they're also all powered by AMD's Raven Ridge 2, which is cool because I, I kind of happen to like AMD these days. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, they've they have said that the shipping for this particular the, the you know the pre-orders will happen in March 2020. However, if you were an original backer on the Indiegogo, you'll be able to get yours in December of this year. So. I have it's I'm I don't know how I feel about it because they the hardware hasn't been like as up to par as that I wanted. They did upgrade a little bit of it, uh, but you know I'm, it's it's like a wait and see kind of thing. But I am glad that they are still continuing to make this because it does look pretty cool, and I am happy that they're making a competitor to the other consoles and also making it possible to customize and you know you know it be very flexible for what is running and that kind of thing. So it's pretty cool, and uh, yeah, I look forward to checking it out when it does release release in March of next year. So if you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have a link to the Gaming on uh, Linux article about it in the show notes below. And finally this week, we have a really interesting game that I am looking forward to, and it's 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 adorable and ridiculous, and that's like, that's a, I like that. Uh, so anyway, it's a, called Skatebird. It is a very cute skateboarding game with birds, and yes, it's birds riding skateboards in a skate park that's like in a desk or in a small office room or a kitchen or something like that. 
Ever since Ryan showed me this game on episode 96 of Destination Linux, I've been anticipating it, and I can't wait to play this game. Uh, so Glass Bottom Games is the people who make it, and they also make a Spartan Fist and a game called Hot Tin Roof, The Cat That Wore a Fedora. So they seem to be making some ridiculous but fun concept games, so... Uh, it might be worth checking out those too, but I'm definitely interested in checking out Skatebird because it's adorable and ridiculous. And they recently launched a Kickstarter campaign for a goal of $20,000. Now, it's not been around for just a couple days. The I mean, the, the Kickstarter campaign's only been around for a couple days, and they've already reached that goal of t- over $25,000. And they're quick to they're probably going to qu- uh, quickly get to their stretch goal of $30,000, which will unlock some side stories, or, or like they're going to add unlockable side stories, which is really really cool that there's you know so much backing behind it. Uh, this is how they described it in the Kickstarter list. They say uh, a bunch explore a bunch of bird-sized parks with simple controls familiar to any uh, to any kind of you know people who've used Hawk before are probably referring to Tony Hawk. They're saying it to any Tony Tiny Hawk, but it's kind of like the Tony Hawk Pro Skater games. Uh, so that's cool. They're also they said that you can find fancy clothing, secret mixtapes, mixtapes of new music. Burbs that need your help and more. Burb, they spelled it with a B. B-R-B. B-I-R-B. B-I-R-B. That's how they spell it. Anyway, uh, they say you can skate to original lo-fi burb hop soundtrack, or you can drop in your own MP3s. So that's pretty cool. I like that feature. And they uh, it's also uh, they made it they also made a note that no burbs were harmed in the making of this game because their floofies protected them. <laughs> so this is a ridiculous game, and I can't wait to play it because, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably be backing this one just because I want to be the first to try it out, or one of the first to try it out because of how ridiculous it is. Anyway, if you are interested in checking out the Kickstarter, I'll have a link to the Kickstarter as well as the Gaming on Linux article about the particular game in the show notes below. Also, I have a link to the episode of uh, Destination Linux, episode 96, where we first, where Ryan first showed me this game and how I, was, I got ridiculously excited about it. Uh, then. So if you want to check that out too, I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. So yeah. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you'd like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to support the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute with it. PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many more. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux Everywhere or tuxdigital.com slash links everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like to submit some good news to the show, then visit the subreddit by going to thisweekinlinux.reddit.com. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux as I'm a co-host of that show. There's been a couple interesting interviews of Destination Linux, so be sure to check those out for episode 125 and 124. Those are really interesting. Don't miss them. We talked to uh, Jason Evangelo from Forbes and uh, Jonathan Thomas from OpenShot, so you want to check those out. Just a reminder, this show is live usually every Saturday, so... Join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. This week, I wasn't able to do it live because I was at the Southeast Linux Fest conference, uh, but next week, we totally will be doing it live. So be sure to join then. Uh, thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.